Well, good morning. I'm going to be reading this morning from the book of Luke, the gospel according to Luke. We're going to start in a little bit in chapter 23 to put things in context. And what I want to do this morning is just read to you the, almost the entirety of the chapter and just really get a, an understanding of that first Easter morning, that first celebration of the empty tomb and the resurrection of Jesus. So in God's word, Matthew chapter 23, uh, verse 20, uh, 53, and then we'll read the story of the first Easter. Hear the word of the Lord. Then Jesus was taken down and wrapped in a linen shroud and laid in a tomb cut in stone where no one had ever been laid. It was a day of preparation and the Sabbath was beginning and the women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. On the Sabbath day they rested according to the commandments. But on the first day of the week at early dawn They went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen, remember, How he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified on the third day and rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they, the ladies, the women, told all these things to the eleven, the other apostles, and to the rest. That very day, two of them, two disciples of Jesus, were walking and going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking to each other about all these things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And and he said to them, what is this conversation you're holding with each other as you walk? They stood still looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there here in these days? And he said to them, what things? They said, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word, before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. We had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company, some women of our company, amazed They they were at the tomb early in the morning and they they did not find his body. They came back saying they had seen visions of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him, Jesus, they did not see. And he told them, Jesus speaks, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses... All the prophets he interpreted to them, all the scriptures concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going, Emmaus. Jesus acted if he was going further, but they urged him to stay, stay with us toward evening. So he went and stayed with them. He was at the table. Jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And then he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened up the scriptures? 
They rose that same hour, went back to Jerusalem, and found the eleven and those who were gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed, has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. And as they were talking together, Jesus himself stood among them and he says to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And Jesus said to them, Why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands, see my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. When he said all these things, he showed him his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieving for joy, they were marveling what he said. And then he said to them, have you anything to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish. He took it and he ate it before them. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. That everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the psalm must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scripture, and he said to them, Thus it is written, The Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning with Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word. This narrative, this, this first Easter story if you read it like in its entirety as we did, it's like this breaking news story that comes across the TV or some news feed. In the first few verses, you can see this news break in. Breaking news right now, women take spices to a graveyard to finish uh, uh, preparing a dead man's body for burial. They come across the tomb, but the body is missing more as the story develops. A couple hours later, another breaking news report. We have just heard from two witnesses. They were walking on the road to Emmaus, and all of a sudden, this stranger starts talking to them. He opens up the Bible to them. They sit. He breaks bread. Their eyes are open. They say it was Jesus, and then he's gone. Later that night, another evening breaking story. We have the first person interview now of the once dead, now alive, Jesus the Christ. He now appears to his disciples in an interview, and he not only tells them what had happened and why it happened, but now how all this is going to change their lives. Breaking story. What a story. What news. And it's unfolding as we read this narrative in, in Luke 24. There are three major things that just keeps repeating itself throughout the story. Three major things, and we'll look at them quickly this morning just for a few minutes, and that is number one. You guys can handle that back there, Mike, for me. Thank you. Number one, the story tells us that the scriptures have been fulfilled. We see this in each breaking news story. The scriptures has been fulfilled, have been fulfilled. Number two, the message of the gospel now can be proclaimed. And number three, you know what Resurrection Sunday teaches us? The renewed world is glorious. The new world is glorious. So number one, the scriptures have been fulfilled. Jesus goes to great lengths on this first Easter uh, celebration that the fulfillment of the scriptures has taken place. The word of God, the Bible has come true. You know, after the angels, sort of like a, almost a tongue-in-cheek, speak to the women, they're like, why are you in a graveside where there are dead people looking for someone who's alive? They say, to the, they say to the women, remember, he told you this, verse, 20, uh, verse 6. He told you 
what he was teaching you in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and rise on the third day. He already told you this is going to happen. Why are you surprised? Why are you surprised that all this is being fulfilled? And then on the road to Emmaus, Jesus shows up talking to these two men. Verse 25. Oh, foolish one, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Already told you. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into glory? Beginning with Moses, the five books, first five books of the Bible. Then the prophets, he interpreted them in all the scriptures, that's the Old Testament scriptures, the things concerning himself. And then finally, as Jesus meets his disciples at the third breaking story, he says to them, these are the words I spoke to you while I was with you. That everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms now must be fulfilled. Why is it so important that Jesus mentions it over and over again and during his teaching and now the first resurrection day? Why is it so important that the scriptures must be fulfilled? Well, the answer is that God is in control. Simple as that. God is in control. And because God always, always keeps his promises. God is faithful. God is trustworthy. And therefore, his word is also faithful and trustworthy. You know, we're in a very unsettled place in America. Left, right, no matter what aisle you belong on. We're in an unsettled place. This year has been a difficult year. Whether it's financial, whether it had to do with uh, concerns of health issues, children, grandchildren, schooling, been a difficult year. And one of the things that we've battled over and over is the battling against fears. Fear. Particularly fears of the unknown. News stories were breaking after story after story. But we can be sure that when the Bible speaks, God speaks. And therefore, because God is speaking, he is unmovable, unchanging, and unfailingly trustworthy. You see, the authority and the character of the scriptures... The authority and character of Scripture is as strong and has authority and is just as trustworthy as the one who authored it. The Scripture. The Word of God is not only the revelation of who God is, but it is a, a, a reflection of God Himself. And God can be trusted. And we can trust His words. Do you know thousands of years before Jesus showed up on the scene in Bethlehem, lived His life in Nazareth, the prophets have predicted over and over when Jesus would come. He, they pro- prophesied where he would be born. They prophesied about his virgin birth. They prophesied about his life and ministry. They even spoke about the manner of his death and the fact that he will rise on the third day, thousands of years before he came. Not only how he would die, but you know, the prophets spoke about his beating, his scourging, his betrayal. Psalm twenty-two, sixteen, King David writes a thousand years before Christ came, that the Roman gods would treat him in the way in which they treated him. He wrote this, thousand years before, dogs have surrounded me. Dogs is a euphemism for enemies. A band of evil men have encircled me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. We know that when Jesus was crucified, they broke the bones of the two other uh, people with him and they did not break his bones, according to Scripture. They stare and gloat over me. That's what the Roman soldiers did. They divided my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. That's exactly what happened. 
David even wrote that Jesus would rise from the dead way back a thousand years in Psalm 16. He said, you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One, that's Jesus, see decay. He would rise. The prophet Isaiah, 700 years before Jesus came, spoke about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. He said that Jesus would come and he would be perfect and sinless. There would be no violence in him. There was no any deceit in his mouth. That Jesus would be assigned a grave among the wicked and yet in a rich man's tomb. That's exactly what happened. Isaiah spoke with pinpoint accuracy about the crucifixion before there was such a thing as crucifixion. He said this, Jesus would be pierced for our transgressions. He would be crushed for our iniquities and the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. Isaiah spoke about his resurrection. After the, the suffering of his life, of his soul, which is death, he'll see the light of life, resurrection. There is an undeniable pronouncement of the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus way before it happened. Why is that so important? Because Christian faith is not a matter of blind faith but a trustworthy and reliable faith. You can trust God. We need to trust God. Biblical faith, is, biblical faith is based on historical facts and, and, and the knowledge of God's character and his nature, his promises that he has kept over and over again. There are so many things in our world that changes so fast. We don't know who to believe anymore. But we can trust God. God keeps his promises. God fulfills his word. God's word is as trustworthy as God himself. The scriptures must be fulfilled. Next, the message can be proclaimed. The new story not only speaks about the, the Jesus' death and resurrection, but why it happened and what, 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 what we are to do about it. And Jesus says one of the reasons that the scriptures were, has been fulfilled the reason he would die and rise from the dead is that the message of the gospel, the good news, can be proclaimed. Three times in our narrative, Jesus said he would be delivered into the hands of sinful men, crucified, and rise on the third day. Verse 7, verse 26, and verse 46. In fact, verse 46, I think we have it on the screen. Jesus says to his disciples, it is written that the Christ should suffer Third day, rise from the dead, and, verse 47, that repentance for the, for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed, look what it says, in his name to all nations, all people, beginning in Jerusalem and spreading out throughout the world. Do you know in verses 9 through 11, the women, the first thing they did after they found the empty tomb is run back and tell somebody. The, 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 the two men on the road to Emmaus when they saw it was Jesus, they were in Emmaus. What did they do? They went right back to tell somebody to Jerusalem. And here we see the same thing. As Jesus tells them, you are my witnesses now. Go. Go into the world. You see, it was after Good Friday and after Easter Sunday that Jesus sends his disciples into the world to proclaim the gospel. It's not that God was, saving, God was saving people by faith before this, but now it's in his name. He has come. He has fulfilled the scriptures. He died on a cross. He rose from the dead. It was after Good Friday, after Easter, he sends them out and says, now in my name, repent of your sins and forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed. 
You see, on Sunday, excuse me, on Friday night, we celebrated here. Jesus died as an atoning death. He died on the Roman cross. He took the punishment for our sins Friday. On Friday, Jesus was our substitute. As he bore the penalty for our sins, he died in our place. On Friday, Jesus hung on the cross where he he took the Father's wrath against sin so that we might be forgiven through his atoning and suffering and substitute sacrifice. But it was Sunday. It was Sunday that the tomb was empty, that the final authenticity of all that he said, all that he is, was sealed for all eternity. Romans chapter 1, verse 4, Paul says this. He's declared now to be the Son of God through the power of according to the spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. You know what that means? Family, this is what it means. Jesus Christ on his resurrection was declared. The word declared means where we get our word horizon, uh, a demarcation, marking off. The resurrection shows clearly the authenticity of his claims that he is God who became flesh. If Jesus had not risen from the dead, he would just been another moral teacher giving out moral commands. In fact, some of his uh, statements and demands upon his disciples would have been looked at as ridiculous if not he had risen from the dead. But the tomb is empty. He rose from the dead. And that marked off Jesus as the Son of God of the same nature. Deity, irrefutable by the resurrection of the dead. It validated all that he is, all that he said, and all that he did. In fact, Romans chapter 4, the Apostle Paul continues, and he writes something very, very interesting. He said this, that Jesus was delivered up for our trespass. In other words, he died on the Roman cross for our sins. Then Paul says, and he was raised from the dead for our justification. Justification is a very important word. Justification. Look at it as a a two-sided coin. Justification, the Bible means on one side of the coin, we have been forgiven. The debt of our sin, the penalty for our sin has been paid. We have been forgiven of our sins. And justification, though, has a second side to it. It has to do with uh, the application of righteousness. None of us are righteous. Righteousness has to do with counting or imputing Jesus' righteousness to me. He lived that perfect life I could never do. And what Jesus is telling his disciples here in Luke chapter 24 is, I've lived that perfect life you can't live. I died an atoning death for the forgiveness of sins. I took the punishment for sins upon me. Now go and proclaim forgiveness of sins available through me. That's what he's telling them. So if anyone were to call upon the name of the Lord who would repent, that means turn from sin, stop being your own Lord, your own Savior, trying to justify your own life and trust in Jesus Christ alone as Savior and Lord, he died so that we can be forgiven. He lived a perfect life so that his righteousness by faith alone can be imputed to your account and we can be justified, made right before God. That's the message of the gospel to be proclaimed. So you have the scriptures must be fulfilled, the message can be proclaimed, and finally, the renewed world is glorious. Now, in verse 36, Jesus shows up in a room. The gospel according to John adds to it, part of that story, that they were locked in a house, all his disciples, and the room was locked, bolted, shut. 
scared. Jesus comes, it says in Luke, and stood among them, and they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And what does Jesus do? Jesus says to them, look, peace be unto you. Peace. And what does he do? He says to them, peace, what does he do? See my hands and my feet, it's me. Touch me and see. A spirit doesn't have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he said these things, he showed him his hands and his feet. And then what does Jesus say? I'm hungry. Notice that. I'm hungry. Haven't eaten in a few days. <laughs> was breaking some bread. I decided to vanish. Now I'm here. Got any fish. Now, if it was an Italian household, he wouldn't have to ask. I'm just saying. <laughs> they gave him a piece of broiled fish. He took it and he ate it before them. In the Gospel of John, chapter 21, Jesus shows up also with his disciples a second time. And he shows up on the beach barbecuing for his disciples. I'm not making it up. John chapter 21. And, you, and, and, and what you see is this, this cooking, this eating fish, this vanishing, this showing up through walls, hugging one another, touching one another, enjoying friendships after the resurrection. Why? Because the authors wanted to make sure that everyone understood that when Jesus rose from the dead, he rose with a physical body that can eat, that can touch, that can feel, that can walk with people, but also to show us our future. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15 that there is going to come a day when the dead will be raised imperishable. The perishable body will put on the imperishable. The mortal body must put on immortality. You see, for the followers of Christ, new bodies are not going to be less physical, but more physical. That's our glorious future. Our bodies will do what it was created to do before sin wreaked havoc on our nation, on our world, the curse and death to our world. Do we know exactly what that's like? No, but we get a glimpse. We get a glimpse of what that's like because of the resurrection of Jesus And if you're a Christian here today, we look at Jesus and we see that's part of our glorious future. The Apostle John says this, we are God's children now that we've trusted in Christ. He says, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appeared, we shall be like him. So we're not going to be this floating angel-like, intangible person that we see in storybooks, but a glorified body that will live with Christ, that will eat and walk and fellowship with other believers. Actually, it will fulfill the longing, the deep longing and satisfactions of our souls. We know deep down in our hearts, because God put it there, the word says that God put eternity in our hearts. We know that this world is broken, that there's got to be more. The resurrection of Jesus Christ shows us that. What our glorious future will be like. When the kingdom of God comes, there'll be a complete healing of the material world. Genesis says that we were created in the imago Dei, the image and likeness of God. That God created us male and female. And God created us in his image with dignity and worth and value. He created us both body and soul and provided for us. But the Bible says that we sinned against him. And rebelled against him. And when sin entered the world, so did death. So did decay. So did disease. So did war. All that added because of sin. But Easter shows us 
that God, who created both body and soul, will, in the end, redeem both body and soul. All the, all the results of sin, physical, spiritual, emotionally, will be healed. And although we don't see it now, the breaking news story of the, of, of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is our hope that, our, that we will have a glorious future. Now, let me end by illustrating to you what I mean. There's a book John Piper wrote, God is the Gospel. And I, and I want you to enter into this story with me a little bit so you can understand um, what's being said in this, this illustration and, and the resurrection of Jesus. He says, imagine a group of American prisoners of war being held behind a barbed wire fence with little food, filthy conditions near the Second World War. Outside the fence, the captors are free to go about their business. There's not a care in the world. Inside the fence, the captured soldiers are thin, hollow-eyed, unshaven, dirty, and prisoners are dying every day. Then somehow, some way, a shortwave radio is smuggled into the barracks. And finally, there's a connection with the outside world and the progress of the war. And then one day, the captors on the outside of the fence see something really strange. They look inside the fence. They're, they're still dirty Americans, unshaved American soldiers, but they're smiling and laughing, and some people are throwing tin, tin pans and, and shouting for joy, behind, for joy behind the fence. And what's so strange to the captors is nothing's changed. They can't figure it out. Yet the American soldiers are, are not only in captivity, but they seem to be joyful. They still don't have any water. They're still dying. They're still sick. But what the captors don't know is that what these soldiers do have is breaking news. The enemy lines have been broken through. The decisive battle of liberation has been fought. And the liberating troops are only miles away from the camp. Freedom is imminent. And that makes all the difference. End quote. Christ's resurrection guarantees for those who believe, who've turned repented from their sins, turned to God, trusted in Christ, they have the assurance of forgiveness. The empty tomb is the receipt that the atonement of Christ has been accepted. Christ has come into the world and has fought the decisive battle to defeat sin, to destroy Satan, death, and hell. Christ has won. He will liberate and forgive all those who put their faith and their hope and their trust in him. The band comes up. Let me read to you another passage of scripture and we'll sing. Listen to Romans chapter 10, verse 9. If you, me, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, if we, we confess Jesus is Lord, I'm not Lord, I believe they died on a Roman cross, he rose from the dead, thou shalt be saved. You will be redeemed. He says, Romans says, for with the heart one believes and is justified, made right, forgiven, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. There's no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, and everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved, rescued, redeemed, forgiven. Have you trusted in Christ? Do you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you realize that the tomb is empty and that God is fulfilling his word? Do you believe that the tomb is empty and now forgiveness of sins, repentance and forgiveness of sin is proclaimed in his name? 
And do you believe that when you trust him, you will have a glorious future with a new resurrected body and you will live with Jesus and walk with him and walk with one another? Have you trusted Christ today? I hope you have. I hope you don't leave this place without putting your faith in him today. We're going to have some baptism. We're going to sing and we're going to uh, worship the risen Christ. Let us pray. Father, thank you for your marvelous breaking story in the middle of, of history. Jesus born, raised, lived without sin, died an atoning death, rose from the dead. Lord, help us. Give us the eyes to see. Give us hearts of faith to trust him, to rely upon him, to make him Lord of my life, to trust that he has done all that he said he was going to do. Forgive us of our sins and reconcile us to you. Father, that's our prayer, we pray in Jesus' good name. Amen.